Father, it is good to be in your presence. We anticipate that you're going to speak to our hearts. I pray that through your Holy Spirit you would challenge us, that you would prepare us for all that you have in store for us as your individual followers and for us as a church family. So we look forward to what you're going to say to us in this moment. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, last week I talked to you about a, a really large problem that, that is looming that's facing the church in America, and that is simply this. It's the lack of commitment to Christ and to the body of Christ by people who call themselves Christians. And uh, I, I began last week by talking about the solution to that problem is simply this, that we need a renewed understanding and commitment to discipleship. Discipleship is, is the idea that you're growing every day to become more and more like Jesus Christ, that you're doing everything that's necessary in the way of spiritual habits and gathering together, that those things are a part of, of your daily walk. And so you're growing more and more like Jesus Christ. And, and we talked about what we want is to be the kind of follower of Jesus Christ that's pictured in the New Testament. Because a New Testament disciple is one who attaches himself or herself to a teacher, a rabbi, to, to one who will teach them. Not only that, but they want to know the things the teacher knows. And they want to do the things that the teacher does. <coughs> and then finally... They want to become like the teacher and pass on to others what the teacher taught them. Now, our problem is, I think that we've lost sight of what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. In fact, just this week, an article in uh, the Atlantic magazine talked about the, the division of evangelical Christianity. And one of the things that they cited in that article was the fact that the church has abandoned discipleship. We have, we're not learning what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And I think that's a solution. Uh, we have equated Christianity with just knowing certain facts about Jesus Christ and maybe giving mental assent to those Maybe we show up to church every once in a while, although for a lot of people who call themselves Christians, that's an option that they could care less about. What we need, if we're going to stem this problem in America, if we're going to revitalize the church, our church, I think it starts with a benchmark. Now, you know what a benchmark is, right? Uh, Webster's Dictionary dis defines a benchmark as something that can be used uh, as a way to judge the quality or the level of other similar things. And so we're going to be looking this morning at some of the disciples of Jesus Christ and how they responded, how they followed, and that's going to be our benchmark. Uh, we're going to start, though, by looking at three different groups of people who were following Jesus Christ. If you look in Luke's Gospel... Chapter 12 and verse 1. Luke 12, 1. And this is the New English, uh, excuse me, in the New International Version. It says, Meanwhile, when a crowd of many thousands had gathered so that they were trampling on one another, Jesus began 
to speak first to his disciples. So here's a picture. There are thousands of people who are following Jesus Christ. And in that crowd, you're going to find three different groups of people who are, who are following, who are with Jesus. First of all, there were the critics. Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes, uh, the religious leaders. They were there to watch Jesus, to capture anything that he did that they could use as ammunition against him. They were the critics. Second group that was, that was present were the curious. They were the curious. Those were the thousands. They were there because they wanted to, to healing for their sicknesses. They wanted free food because he had been doing something like that. And they wanted liberation from the uh, uh, Roman, uh, the hand of Rome in their country. And so they were curious. They were saying, Jesus, we, we want you to do all these things for us. And then finally, there were the called. Those are the ones who were committed to following Jesus Christ. First, he had 12. Later, he had <coughs> 70. Then he had 120. And toward the end, there were maybe 500 who were real followers of Jesus Christ, the, the called, the committed. It's interesting to me that in our world today, we have the same three groups. You've got the foes of Jesus Christ, because there are a lot of people out there who are against Christianity, who are doing everything they can to undermine the church, to undermine our faith. There's foes out there. But then there are a lot of people out there who are just fans of Jesus Christ. They, they, oh yeah, he's a good guy, he's wonderful, and you know, we're a Christian nation, blah, 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 blah. They're fans. But then you've got those who are real friends of Jesus Christ. Those are the call, the committed, the people who really are seeking every day to live for Jesus Christ in a way that really, really will make a difference. So... As we look at these disciples, let me mention a book uh, that I highly recommend that you ought to read. It's a classic book. It's been around for 100,000 years. Well, maybe not that long. Um, but it's by A.B. Bruce, and it's called The Training of the Twelve. It's a work on Jesus' discipleship methods with his disciples. And in that book, A.B. Bruce says that there are three stages to Jesus' invitation to these people to become his followers. In the first stage, they were simply believing in him as the Christ, that he was the Messiah. Uh, they occasionally accompanied him at, at different events. Bruce calls this the come and see stage in Jesus and his disciples. In other words, this was a four or a five month period when Jesus first came on the scene. And uh, he, he's now introducing this group of men to himself and, and his ministry. And this is found primarily in John chapter 1 through chapter 4. This was a time of some kind of a, sort of an initial relationship building between Jesus and, and five men at that point who eventually became part of the twelve. There was Peter and Andrew, James and John and Philip. So look in, with, in your notes there uh, at John 1, verse 35 and following. John 1, 35. It says, again, the next day, John was standing with two of his disciples. This is John the baptizer. Uh, he was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked. And that word looked means that he fixed his gaze on Jesus to try to gain insight into his character. 
And, and so the idea here is that he looked at Jesus as he walked, and he said this, Behold the Lamb of God. So these two disciples that were with Jesus, he says, heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. And Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What do you seek? And they said to him, Rabbi, which translated means teacher, where are you staying? Well, obviously here, they were not wanting to stand by the side of the road and have this long conversation. They wanted more than just a standing beside the road kind of a chit-chat kind of a thing. And so they're asking, where are you staying? We want to come visit with you. We want to sit down, have a meal with you or whatever. We want to know more about you. He said to them, verse 39, Come and you will see. That, that means come and see. Uh, that's the first phase. That's uh, the investigation stage. They're, they're gathering information. Uh, these disciples, at this point, were only making a light commitment. They, they wanted to check Jesus out. That's kind of what they were doing. Some of you here this morning are at that point. You're just kind of checking Jesus out. You've been surfing online and you come across our service and you say, well, let me check this out. Let me just begin to gather some information about what is this Christ thing? What is this Jesus thing? What is this all about? There are a lot of people that are like that. You've got family, you've got friends who are checking it out, who are beginning to begin to investigate Jesus Christ and what it really means to, to follow him. Some of your people, your friends are at that point. But the second phrase, uh, phase in his ministry with his disciples is the come and follow stage. Come and follow stage. This is phase two. It probably lasted maybe 10 or 11 months in the, in the ministry of Jesus. And it's during this time that Jesus is followed by the thousands. And he's regularly teaching. He's regularly training about 70, maybe 120 different uh, disciples. And of these then, he's going to call out to be with him a select few. And that calling out of those few is found in both Matthew's gospel and in Mark's gospel. So look at Matthew chapter 4 and verse 18. It says, One day, as Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, also called Peter, and Andrew throwing a net into the water, for they fished for a living. So here are these two brothers. Now, they have already been mentioned in John chapter 1 in, in that come and see uh, stage. Um, you know, this idea of get to know me, check me out kind of thing. And I think no doubt during that first phase, these brothers, James and, I mean, uh, Peter and Andrew, as well as James and John, they spent some time with Jesus, but they also went back to their livelihood of fishing. So they would fish one day, and the next day they would go and listen to Jesus teach. The next day they'd be back in the boat or, or whatever. But probably during those days, these young men began to contemplate what they were hearing, what they were seeing happening. They, they began to contemplate that there was change taking place in their life that there was something unique <coughs> excuse me, about this rabbi and their lives were being changed, that they would never be the same again. And now here is Jesus and he's come back to them and he's now calling on them to become his permanent followers 24-7 until the end of his, his ministry. Uh, they would be with him 
until the end of his ministry. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 19, look what it says. Jesus called out to them, that's Peter and Andrew, Come and follow me, and I will show you how to fish for people. And they left their nets at once and followed him. Now, the verb follow there doesn't mean just kind of tag along, but it's a, it's a word that means to follow as a disciple. <coughs> Excuse me, I'm so sorry. <coughs> it literally means to walk in the footprints, to walk in the dust of your rabbi. In fact, that was the whole idea, was that if you were a, a disciple, you were to walk so close to your, to your rabbi, your teacher, that the dust from his feet would, would be cling to your robe. There was a saying that was given, may you be covered with the dust of your rabbi, meaning that you are living so close to him that you're becoming so much like him. Um, It's the idea that you're learning from him, you're watching him, you're experiencing what he experienced, you're imitating him, you're, you're doing the things that he did, you're thinking the things that he thinks. You're meeting the needs of people like he's doing. Uh, you're learning to pray, learning to teach as he did. You're having compassion for the people like he did. And yes, even suffer as he suffered. That's what these two brothers were signing up for. And notice the words here in that verse. At once. They left their nets at once. There was no hesitancy here. There was no hedging their bets at all. Uh, They cast their lot wholeheartedly with Jesus Christ to follow Him. The result of that, folks, would be a radical change in their lives. And they in turn would radically change the world. That's what God has in mind for you and me as followers of Jesus Christ, that we would be changed and in turn we would change the world. God's plan hasn't, hasn't changed since uh, Peter and Andrew. He wants you and I to be changed and He wants us to change the world. Look at Matthew 4 then verse 21 and 22. A little farther up the shore, he saw two other brothers, James and John, sitting in a boat with their father Zebedee, repairing their nets. And he called them to come too. Look at verse 22. They immediately followed him, leaving the boat and their father behind. I mean, there was no holding back. There was no looking back. There was no going back at all. Uh, Their lives were completely dedicated to Him. Now, granted, they didn't understand all of this was going to involve, and and granted that these guys were going to make mistakes, they were going to say stupid things, they they were going to fall on their face from time to time, but they wanted to follow Jesus Christ. Now, granted, these weren't the best of the best. These weren't the scholars of the day. Those guys were following other rabbis. No, here is Jesus, and he has deliberately chosen illiterate, uneducated, untutored men to follow him. And the reason for that is that they could be really a, a trophy, I guess, of God's amazing grace. That God's amazing grace might become so apparent in their life. Because these guys were nobodies. 
I mean, think about it. They hadn't been chosen to follow a rabbi. They had gone to the, the rabbinical school, and when their 12, 11 or 12 years old was up, they went to learn the family trade, fishing. So these guys weren't the best. And yet Jesus called them so that God's best could shine through them. As one early Christian writer stated, Jesus sees them not physically, but spiritually, and chooses them not as apostles, but because they could become apostles. That word means sent out ones. Now, from these passages, I want us to, to look at some ideas, gain an understanding of what does it mean to follow. Understanding following. Let's start by thinking through what does it mean to follow Christ? And to get even more clarity on that, let's ask the question, what does it not mean to follow Christ? Why should we not follow Jesus Christ? We should not follow Jesus Christ, folks, because it gives us respectability. That because it gives us a good reputation in the community, you know, something that you can put on your resume. I don't know if you've ever seen it, but every once in a while you get a political, uh, you know, somebody's running for office and you get a flyer in your mailbox and inevitably somebody will list the church that they're a part of. And I'm glad for that. But I wonder if that's really what's important to them or is it just I want to be seen as respectable. And the church people will vote for me because I'm going to church. That's not why we follow Jesus Christ, so that we can be, have a good reputation in the community. And you know what else? We follow Jesus Christ not because it helps us to raise good moral children. It will, but that's not why you follow Jesus Christ. Nor... Do we do it because, you know what, it can ease a guilty conscience if I show up and do the church thing. And so I've got that, and my mind is clear, my guilt is, is kind of purged. Folks, I want you to know we don't follow Jesus Christ even because it gives us eternal life in heaven with God. Those are not reasons we follow Jesus Christ. The real reason we want to follow Jesus Christ is that we love the one who gave his life for us. We follow out of love. That's the reason why we follow Jesus Christ. And if you're having trouble following Jesus Christ, maybe you need to check the fervor of your love for Jesus Christ. Because if you love him, you will follow him. 1 John 4.19, we love because he first loved us. Now, I want you to look at, at what we can learn from the decision that were made by Peter and Andrew and James and John. They, they t really illustrate to us, they're an example of the fact that following is a total commitment. Look what it says. They left all and followed him. Um, and you say, okay, well, those are the 12 disciples. We, I understand. I, you know, they were with Jesus. He was present with them. Uh, so, yeah, they, they left all and they followed him. But what about the rest of us? Let me remind you one of the most remarkable things. After Jesus' ascension into heaven, on the day of Pentecost. Now, you remember the day of Pentecost, 40 days after Passover. It's a day of celebration of the first fruits, the first harvest, and so forth. And what had happened in Jerusalem after Jesus' death is all these people who had come from all over the Mediterranean world 
many of them had come for Passover and had stayed those 40 days because they wanted to celebrate Pentecost as well in the temple at Jerusalem. So you've got these thousands of people from all over the Mediterranean region. And they find Jesus Christ through the preaching of, of Peter and the other disciples. And it so impacts their life that the majority of them never go back home to the country of their residence. They want to stay in, the, in Jerusalem with the Christians because their lives have been so impacted. Friends, that's what it means to be totally committed. I mean, think about it. Would you go to a campaign somewhere and hear somebody preach a Greg Lowry or a Franklin Graham or somebody like that, and you become so excited about Jesus Christ that you never come back to Elko because you want to stay with the people of God? That's what's happening here. It was a total commitment of their lives to Jesus Christ. Folks, there is no room for part-time followers of Jesus Christ. It's either full-time or not at all. We see that here. So what is it then that keeps us from following Jesus? Why don't, why don't we do a very good job of it? <clears throat> what are some barriers? <clears throat> More importantly, how can we get over those barriers? I, I want to look in Luke chapter 9 as we talk about avoiding, avoiding the barriers to following. And, and this chapter records for us um, three different people who were called by Jesus, but they allowed a, very, a variety of different barriers to stand in the way. <coughs> First of all, there's the barrier of security. Look at Luke 9, beginning at verse 57. It says, as they were walking along, and that's Jesus and the disciples, someone said to Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. But Jesus replied, foxes have dens to live in, and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place even to lay his head. Here's the example of someone who didn't count the cost. Um, and he was unwilling to give up the security of the present. I mean, he thinks, I am eager to follow Jesus Christ. But the bottom line is, he, he didn't even know what he was talking about. And you see that in, in Jesus' words here. Jesus showed this would-be disciple what following him really, really involved. Uh, this man hadn't paid attention. As Jesus had talked about suffering, had talked about giving up, uh, he hadn't paid attention at all. Um, Jesus had talked about the hardship of following. Folks, what I want us to realize is that salvation is free because Jesus paid so much. While salvation is free, discipleship is costly. To follow Jesus Christ is costly. Uh, I mentioned last week Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a German pastor during World War II who was eventually killed by the Nazis uh, for uh, conspiracy to overthrow Hitler and all that. Um, Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote a book called The Cost of Discipleship. And in that book, he laments what he calls cheap grace. And what he means by that is that we have adopted Christianity for our ticket to heaven but it hasn't impacted any, any of the rest of our life. It's not costing us anything. I made a few words, proclaimed Jesus is Lord in my life, and, and hey, I'm good to go. But, but there's more to it than that. Um, salvation, yes, but there's got to be more because you've got to pay 
the cost of discipleship. Look at Luke 9, 23 and 24. Then Jesus said to the crowd, if any of you wants to be my follower, and he's talking to us here, folks. If any of you wants to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways, take up your cross daily, and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. What I want you to realize is that a cross is an instrument of suffering. There is a high cost to pay for following Jesus Christ. And I think for many people, they come to Jesus Christ and they never consider the cost. Um, They want to hold on to the security of the present, you know. They're not willing to let go of the past. Give me my ticket to heaven and, and I'm good to go. Here is even after hearing the call of Jesus, these kind of people still want to hold on to their past life, to their selfish ways. They're not willing to pay the cost. Frankly, if coming to Jesus hasn't cost you anything, then I wonder about your discipleship. I wonder about your following. Look at that verse again and underline those words. Turn from your selfish way. That's verse 23. Turn from your selfish ways. You see, when a person hears the call of Jesus Christ, there's got to be a cutting off. There's got to be a severance of old patterns of living and old ways of of life. Um, The call is to produce, you know, the call really produces a new situation in our life. The old is gone. The new has come. What we're talking about here is transformation. We're talking about change. That's the idea of repentance. You're going in this direction and you realize you're heading the wrong way and you turn and you go in the right direction. There's got to be a change there. And yet, how many of us, we come to Christ and we never let go of the old way of life, our old selfish ways. We're still lying. We're still being dishonest. We're still cheating our employers, kids in in school. You're still cheating uh, your teachers in any way you can. your language hasn't changed. You're dipping into pornography. Uh, you're experimenting with sexual promiscuity. Uh, Christian people are living together and, and they're not married. You're hiding your addictions. All these kinds of things. If anyone is in Christ, he is a what? New creation. There's newness. So again, what about the change? Is there change in your life because you've come to Jesus Christ? Because all of us need changing. All of us need transforming in our life. And that's what happens when you come to Jesus Christ. And if the change isn't there, well, I wonder. I wonder if you're really a true disciple of Jesus Christ. See, this first guy wanted the glory of following. He wanted the barcode Christian, right? But he wasn't willing to pay the cost of following. He wasn't ready to move beyond the security of his present life. And to be a follower of Jesus Christ is to reflect constantly that every day we're changing to become more and more like Jesus Christ. Then there's the barrier of what I call substituting ritual. Putting ritual in the place of a relationship with Jesus Christ. In Luke 9 verse 59, Jesus said to another person, come, follow me. The man agreed. But he said, Lord, first let me return home and bury my father. But Jesus told him, let the spiritually dead bury their own dead. 
Your duty is to go and preach about the kingdom of God. Now, I want you to notice immediately that following Jesus Christ includes a task that's given to anyone who would follow. And that is the task of sharing the good news of salvation with others. Folks, witnessing as a follower of Jesus Christ is not optional. You're to tell other people the change that God has made in your life and tell them how they can experience that change. That's important. So consider this second would-be disciple. Jesus told him, come and follow me. This guy misunderstands as well. I mean, look what he says. He agrees to follow, but he fails to understand the urgency or the real nature of following here. Look at his answer. He says, Lord, first let me return home and bury my father. So now what, what's going on here? What, what, is, what is he saying there? Well, <clears throat> some would hold that had his father really been a corpse laying in the house at home and he needed to go home and, and, and bury him, that man probably wouldn't have been with Jesus in the first place. He would have been occupied with the duties of, of the funeral and getting everything ready. Thus, his request really is, Jesus, let me go home and hang around until my father dies. And when that's done, then I'm going to come and follow you. In other words, he wanted to delay obedience to the call of Jesus Christ. What I want you to know is that delayed obedience is always disobedience. If God has told you something to do and you say, well, I'll get to it when I get to it, you're being disobedient. Delayed obedience is, is disobedience. We also hear this message here as you think about it. You know, what if his father is dead? Well, then these words of Jesus have even greater urgency because for the Jews... The, the preparation for burial and all the ritual that went involved in that was a huge thing. It was the most important thing. In fact, the duty of burial, of burial took precedent over the study of the law, over service in the temple, over uh, performing the Passover sacrifice, over the ceremony of, of circumcision, over any other ceremonial duties that, that a, a person in Judaism had to perform. Burial was first and foremost and took the first priority. And what Jesus is wanting to make very plain here is that the, the demands of the kingdom of God are more urgent than all the regulations and rituals and rules of Judaism. That's a message we need to hear. Following Jesus as a disciple is not adhering to rules and regulations and doing a bunch of, of rituals. You know, we think that that's what Christianity, don't do this, do that. You know, you shouldn't do this, shouldn't go with people that do that and, and so forth. Christianity is not going through the motions of rituals or following some regulations. That, unfortunately, is kind of the popular idea of what Christianity is all about, that you do certain things and you don't do certain things. But that's not what Jesus is saying here. To be a follower of Jesus Christ, to be his disciple, is not rules and regulations and rituals. It is a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, where each and every day you're growing to become more and more like Him and growing closer to Him in your thinking, in your speaking, in your acting. <clears throat> I'm reminded, <clears throat> excuse me, of the words of Samuel when he was talking to Saul after Saul had disobeyed God. In 1 Samuel 15, 22, Samuel replied, What is more pleasing to the Lord your God? your burnt offerings and your sacrifices, that is your rules, regulations, and rituals, or 
your obedience to his voice. Listen, obedience is better than sacrifice and submission is better than the offering of the fat of rams. So here's this second would-be follower, and he's shackled by the rules of religion here. Instead of the freedom that, that Jesus Christ wanted to give him, he went away sorrowful. He was enslaved to a ritualistic religion in which he would never find fulfillment. And here's the paradox, folks, of following Jesus Christ. By becoming a slave to Jesus Christ, allowing Him to be the the Lord, the Master, the boss of our lives, we find the ultimate freedom in life. And if we reject becoming a slave to Jesus Christ, then what we find is that we are more enslaved to sin and all of its entrapments than we could ever begin to imagine. Jesus said to those who follow Him, if the Son set you free, you are free indeed. So following is not adhering to rules and regulations and carrying out a whole bunch of rituals. It's simply following in Christ's footsteps every day, getting His dust on your life so that other people can see Jesus Christ in you. Third barrier of following is that of following on my own terms. Look at verse 61. Another man said, Yes, Lord, I will follow you, but first let me say goodbye to my family. But Jesus told him, anyone who puts a hand to the plow and then looks back is not fit for the kingdom of God. Do you hear what this third potential disciple is saying? Yes, Lord, I will follow you, but first. He wanted to follow all right, but he wanted to do it on his terms. You know, I'm at your disposal, Jesus, but I want to have a say in some of the things that happen, and I want to kind of be able to do my own thing as we go along. Does that sound familiar? Do we not do that from time to time? Yes, Lord, but that's not discipleship. That's simply a program of our design arranged to suit our needs. And if we're going to heed the call to follow Jesus Christ, our personal preferences, our likes and our dislikes, they don't come into play at all. Uh, It's what Jesus wants. Not what we want. Look at Matthew 16, 24. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone would come after me, that is, if you're going to be a follower, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life, that is, whoever wants to have it his own way, okay? Whoever wants to dictate the terms of following, that person will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me will find it. What good will it be for a man if he gains the whole world yet forfeits his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? You see, you cannot truly be a follower of Jesus Christ on your own terms. Because if you're doing it that way, that means you're still in charge. And if you're still in charge, guess what? You're playing God. And that is one thing that God will not allow. He will not share the throne of your heart with with anything else. He says, I will not share my glory with with another. So don't try to follow on your own terms. It just doesn't work, okay? So what does it really mean to follow Jesus? In other words, what, what what does a true Christian look like? One word, and that's the word obedience. Obedience. Um, 
instant obedience. I mean, I, I talked about delayed obedience in reality is disobedience. Look at Luke chapter 5, verse 27. After that, <clears throat> Jesus went out and he noticed a tax collector named Levi sitting at, in a tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he left everything behind and got up and began to follow him. Underline those words. He left everything, got up, and began to follow. That's obedience. Webster defines obedience as the state or act of being submissive to the will of another person. And in that definition is implied two things. First of all, there's the implication of an external authority that we submit to. And that is Jesus Christ. That's the Son of God. That's God the Son. We submit to His will. What does He want? That's what we want to do. Um, not what I want. What does He want in my, life, in my life? We pray in the Lord's Prayer, that little phrase that says, Thy will be done on earth as it's done in heaven. Think about what you just prayed. How is God's will done in heaven? Well, it's done instantly. It's done completely. It's done joyfully. It's done wholeheartedly. That's our prayer. Lord, I want to do Your will completely, instantly, wholeheartedly, joyfully. The second implication here is that obedience is not just an action, but it's really a state of mind. It's an inner attitude of submission. Let me pick on our, on our youth because guys, y'all are prime examples of this, okay? Uh, teenagers are great at obeying on the outside, their actions, but a lot of times on the inside in their attitude, they're just being as disobedient as they can be, right? Yeah, I'll obey you, but I don't want to obey you, you know? Well, to be a disciple is to be in obedience outwardly and internally as well. Um, the fact of the matter is, folks, we are so quick to proclaim our love for Jesus Christ. But listen to what Jesus said in John 14, verse 15. <clears throat> if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Somebody says, oh, I really love Jesus Christ. But in their life, they're doing things that are totally against God and against the Bible. But I love Jesus Christ. But I got this thing going on in my life. Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. We're so quick to proclaim our trust in God. We trust in God. We even have it written on our money, okay? Uh, but God's Word says, Isaiah 26, verse 8, Lord, we show our trust in You by obeying Your laws. We can talk all day about trusting, but we show it, we demonstrate it. The proof of the pudding is in our obedience to the, the directions of God. And <clears throat> we're so quick to proclaim our faith in Jesus Christ. I mean, isn't that what you tell a person you need to trust in Jesus Christ? All you need to do is make a proclamation. Jesus Christ is my Savior. Jesus Christ is my Lord. Uh, I've got faith in Christ. But God's Word says this in James 2 and verse 14. What good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say that you have faith, but don't show it by your actions? Can that kind of faith save anyone? Folks, faith is only real in obedience. Let me say that again. Faith is only real in obedience. Dietrich Bonhoeffer put it this way. He says, only he who believes is obedient. And only he who is obedient 
believes. Meaning there that faith and obedience must always go together. Obedience is only possible where there is faith. And faith will produce obedience. Obedience follows faith like good fruit, you know, comes from a good tree. So then there, first there's faith, and then there's obedience. That's why the hymn writer said, trust and obey. They go hand in glove. They're, they're both part of it. So again, Dietrich Bonhoeffer says, only the obedient believe. that." What he's saying is all the rest is just talk. He, he goes on and he says, if we're to believe, we must obey a concrete command. Without this preliminary step of obedience, our faith will be only pious humbug and lead us to grace which is not costly. Folks, faith leads to action, and that's the action of obedience. <clears throat> and so for Peter and Andrew and James and John, it meant leaving their former life of, of fishing and becoming a full-time follower of Jesus Christ. For Matthew, it meant leaving his position as a tax gatherer and, and the potential of the money that he would have made as a tax gatherer. And he followed Jesus. See, faith is a step-by-step following. We believe, <clears throat> we trust, and because our, of our belief, we take the next step. Faith is always stepping forward to follow. Peter, because he had faith, think about it. Because he had faith, he stepped out of the boat and walked on the water toward Jesus. Um, And we often chastise Peter because of his lack of faith, you know, because he got out there and he saw the waves and he heard the wind roaring and he took his eyes off Jesus and he began to sink. But he got out of the boat. Let me tell you who didn't have faith in that. It's not Peter. It was the other 11 disciples. Peter was doing what a disciple does. You follow your master. Your master's out there walking on the water. I'm going to follow. If you say you have faith in Jesus Christ, you've got to get out of the boat. You've got to get out of the boat. You must take the next step. That's what it means to follow. To be obedient. And I think every one of us watching online, those here in the worship center, one of the things that's got to happen is we need to take some time to evaluate where we are in our walking with Jesus Christ. Paul, writing in 2 Corinthians 13, 5, says, Examine yourself to see if your faith is genuine. Test yourselves. Surely you know that Jesus Christ is among you. If not, you have failed the test of genuine faith. So let me ask, What's your next step in following Jesus Christ? How are you going to demonstrate the faith that you have in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior? My prayer is that as a church, Calvary Baptist Church, will follow together. That we will follow together. Because folks, the truth of the matter is that we are better, we're stronger, we're bolder when we're together as the body of Christ. Romans chapter 12 and verse 5 Paul wrote this and he said, Since we are all of one body in Christ, we belong to each other. And each of us needs all the others. We need one another. We need to support and encourage one another. We need to minister alongside with one another. Ecclesiastes gives to us a great formula to help us understand you can't be a Lone Ranger Christian. 
You need to do it in, in, in coordination with other believers. Ecclesiastes 4.9 says, Two people are better off than one, for they can help each other succeed. <clears throat> if one person falls, the other one can reach out and help. But someone who falls alone is in real trouble. Likewise, two people lying close together can keep each other warm. But how can one be warm alone? A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer. Three are even better, for a triple braided cord is not easily broken. Folks, we as a church, it's, it's time, this pandemic, it's time that we need to come back together. We need to start supporting one another, encouraging one another, carrying out the work of the kingdom of God in this community. For those of you who are watching online, I hope in the next few weeks, you'll just come on back. It's time. We need one another. I was talking this week to our elder leadership about a lot of things that need to happen in our church family. Uh, as I mentioned last week, uh, we need to do some things in the way of, of cutting back on our budgeting uh, just to make it through these times. And one of the things that we've talked about is there some things that we're paying other people to do that, you know what our church family ought to do? Some of you need to step up and say, you know what, I can come by once a week and I can, can clean the, the doors out front. I could do that. I could be a part of that. Somebody else say, you know what, I could come and me and my family, we could clean a bathroom every week. Or somebody else could come along and say, you know what, we're paying somebody to mow the lawns. Our teenagers can do that. Let's get a group up and let's do that. There are so many different things that, that we could be involved in as a church family to really build together that we could reach this community. We need people to, to help with our children's ministry. Um, one of the things as we were talking about uh, Gina at, at, the, at her memorial service on Friday that I didn't share that I should have shared, but um, about four or six weeks ago, I had a meeting online with Zoom with some potential people to put together a children's committee to really kind of help take over the, the children's area. And I was just blown away. Gina just stepped up and she said, well, we need to do this. We need to do that. I'll take care of this. I'll take care of that. And, and man, she snapped just like that. And our children's area was humming. But now we're back to Nobody. Some of you need to step up and say, I can work one, month, one Sunday a month in the children's area. Somebody can step up and say, you know what? This next generation is so important. I'm going to pour my life into a young adult or into our youth. I need to pass on what I know to the next generation. Those of you who are, are my age and older, don't just sit. You don't go into retirement. You've got experience and knowledge that the next generation needs to hear from you. We've got other things. We need greeters and we need ushers. We need people to help out back here in the, in the, in the media area and the sound booth. I mean, folks, John just does a great job, but it is so darn awkward for him to have to be back there and up here at the same time. I don't know how he does it. Some of you could go back there and we could teach you how to push a button. And you could run that. Uh, we've talked about some of you guys and gals that are very talented. A group called Craftsmen for Christ. 
where we could use carpentry skills to minister in this community. We, we've talked about uh, a disaster relief. Uh, Mike Oster over here has got some training going on, and we're going to put together a team that can go to a disaster here in Nevada or wherever we might need to go to help people out in, in those different, different uh, areas. <clears throat> we need people to help us with connections, making phone calls, to say, hey, we're glad you were there Sunday. Let me tell you about our church. We need people to step up and do that. We've got a clothing closet for emergencies, and we need somebody to step up and say, you know what, I can help. I can sort clothes. I can help distribute when families have a fire in their home or they need, I can step up and do that. We need somebody to help with our baptism. We're going to baptize next Sunday. I need a couple of people say, I can help with that. I can, can take that on. Or celebrate recovery. We need people to to help with meals on Thursday night and, and so forth. There's, there's, uh, we got the living nativity coming up. And John and I are wondering, can we even pull it off? Because it takes bodies to pull off something like that. Uh, our praise team. You notice John's the only one up here. Some of you got talents. And you need to use them for the Lord. Uh, jail ministry. We had a great jail ministry going, and then one by one those people moved and left and so forth. And our, our time slot at the county jail is blank. There's a night during the week when people don't hear the gospel of Jesus Christ because we don't have anybody to step up. <clears throat> Folks, God has shaped you for serving. We are so much better together if we'll serve together. My challenge is that your next step, evaluate your own life. Am I showing my faith through obedience? But also evaluate how am I coming together to serve with my fellow church members to make a difference in Elko Spring Creek for Jesus Christ. That's what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. It's not just sitting and soaking, showing up three-eighths of the time, but it's being one who is so on fire for Jesus Christ that you are literally covered with the dust of your rabbi. Let's pray. Father, that's what I want for every person who's watching this telecast, for every person who's in this room, that we would follow so closely people would immediately know that we follow Jesus Christ. I pray that through your Holy Spirit, you would convict each and every one of us <clears throat> to show us individually, what's the next step I need to take to be an obedient follower of Jesus Christ? How can I be involved in serving? Jesus, you said that you came not to, serve, to be, a, be served, but to serve others. And if we're going to be like you, we need to be serving others. So Holy Spirit, you work on our hearts, on our minds. Lead us in the way in which we ought to go. We absolutely trust in you. For it's in your name we pray. Amen.